Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen. Um, Hey, time is getting short to register to uh, participate in the Strong in Battle free online book study with Susie Larson. So go to MyFaithRadio.com and register for that free online event. Um, Her book is brand new and excellent. We talked with her yesterday here on the show. If you missed that, go grab the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Yeah, while you're there, you know, check out everything else that's going on. Sign up for the verse of the day. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. We we would love to share with you all the good things at MyFaithRadio.com. So we are hearing that President Joe Biden is scheduled to give a primetime speech on Thursday in Philadelphia um, addressing the status of the, quote, soul of the nation. And so if you remember... Um, his acceptance speech, if you remember um, his Soul of America speech in November, if you remember that John Meacham wrote those speeches or certainly participated in writing those speeches, then John Meacham's book, which is called The Soul of America, is probably worth thinking about um, in anticipation of what the president is going to say on Thursday night. So John Meacham is a New York Times bestselling author. He's a Um, American historian. He has written about a number of past presidents and um, and he really has shaped much of the current president's thinking in terms of this language, the soul of the nation. And so I think that, um, you know, when you think about who who do we listen to, like who's talking in the back of our mind when we are talking like right So I am always hoping that, you know, my life is so saturated with the word of God that when I am challenged by something or when I am asked to comment on something that somewhere flows out of me, you know, a thought life, the mind of Christ that's actually informed by the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. So what's informing your thinking? What what's the book behind your words? What's pressing out your speech pattern and the things, not only the things that you say, but the way that you talk about the things of the day? So it means we have to think about what we're thinking about, and we have to think about what we're reading, and we have to think about who we're allowing to shape and form our words. The president of the United States is going to give an address on the soul of America or the soul of the nation, and his his speech is going to be largely informed by John Meacham's book, The Soul of America. I mean, it's actually... Um, uh, the subtitle is The Battle for Our Better Angels. I mean, I, I'm not a betting person, but I'm willing to bet you're going to hear about the better angels of our nature um, in the president's speech on Thursday night. And so um, I think you're going to hear uh, the president talk about darkness and light. I think you're going to hear him talk about Lincoln. I think you're going to hear him talk about political division. I think you're going to hear him talk about um, even the threat of civil war. I think you're going to hear him talk about um, 
the the challenges faced in American history and how different presidents uh, have led through those challenges um, from World War One to the resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s to the fight for women's rights to the um, maybe the isolationist years of America prior to World War Two anti-communist uh, efforts. I think you're going to hear about all of those things. I think you're going to hear about Lyndon Johnson's crusade against Jim Crow. Why? Because those are the chapters in John Meacham's book, The Soul of America. And I think that that book and John Meacham's thinking, I suspect he's helping write the speech or maybe even wrote it. Um, I suspect that you're going to hear much of the thinking of this author and this book in the president's speech on Thursday night. Will you also hear, you know, political vitriol? Yes, yes. But but consider that the things that we say out in public are informed by what we're reading and the people that we're listening to. And so to whom are you listening today? What are the voices that are informing the way you're thinking about what you're thinking about? What books are you reading? Have you been in the Word today? Where in the Word are you? We need to be people who are in the Word of God so that when we are out there in the world that God so loves and we get squeezed, which we will, what comes out of us is grace and truth. Let us be the people of grace and truth today. I think you're, it's also worthy of consideration, you know, just to even think about what does it mean for a nation to have a soul? And what, is, what do you think the status of the soul of our nation is today? And if America has a soul, can it be redeemed? And if so, how would that happen? Well, the answer to that question is revival. Revival. And revival comes through concerted, penitent prayer and the mercies of God. So let's be people praying for the revival of the soul of America today. Hey, next up, Dr. Brett Nix. He's going to join us directly from the night shift at the ER. Yeah, he should be lucid. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years and the slow parade of fears without crying. Good morning, Dr. Nix. I understand you haven't been to bed yet. Hey, good morning. Well, everybody sleeps at different times. It just depends on uh, what you're actually doing. And yeah, I just finished up a night shift. So uh, I'm getting, looking forward to actually going to bed. What happens in the night shift in the ER? Well, you know, it's funny. You just talked about the soul of the nation. And I'll tell you, when you work a night shift, you pretty much see what exists, uh, you know, behind mm. the curtain, if you will. I mean, you uh, you see the downtrodden, you see the injured, you see the weak, you see the poor, you see, you know, those that uh, have no other place to go to seek care. Uh, because at middle of the night, there's nothing else that's open. And the vast majority of the people that come in, uh, they're really sick. They have underlying issues. Sometimes it's because they have not had the capacity to seek care. Some of them work two shifts. Uh, they work all day, all evening, and the only time they can actually go in to get medical care is in the middle of the night uh, because there's nothing else that's open. But, you know, the bottom line as it relates to it, you know, you talked about the soul of the nation. Um, you see it. You see every composite of an individual within the U.S. Uh, coming in for uh, things that they don't want to have, but they have no other choice but to seek. Uh, and again, what better way to, uh, to lead with hope? You know, to, uh, to to speak truth through healthcare, uh, and to navigate the challenges that we see every day. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about. Uh, we're going to pivot to a court action 
um, striking down a transgender mandate. This is something that the Christian Medical and Dental Association, of which you are a part, um, has had a real hand in. So can you can you talk with us about what's happening here? Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting. Um, we've seen this several times and here the Fifth Circuit Court um, struck down this this mandate that has come about, which is basically through the, hum, uh, the Health and Human Services mandate, which basically starts to force hospitals and doctors to do things that they perceive to be against their conscience and also against medical judgment, against things that you and I might look at and say, we don't believe we should be doing this. And many in this current uh, iteration of process is really looking at the concerns around transgender process and transition procedures, especially for those that are really young of age. I mean, think about these, you know, young kids that are adolescents and teenagers, their bodies haven't even fully developed yet, let alone the capacity for them to really understand perhaps the dialogue that uh, that they're struggling with and in the, the discussions that we're having. And, you know, the ruling is really a significant victory uh, for what we call conscious rights and the compassionate medical care. And what that really means is it's, it's, it's really difficult for me and many other doctors uh, when you have a mandate that comes your way that doesn't allow you to do your job and to comply with the Hippocratic Oath, uh, especially in things that we perceive that might be harmful and even in this circumstance, irreversible procedures that can go against your conscience, can go against really what the medical uh, expertise would suggest uh, because we have a process that is pushing for these. And so this is really a significant step um, forward. you know. And again, uh, this will not be the last step. This will be a continuous process of of ruling and appealing and ruling and appealing. But, you know, the most concerning that I have, and we've seen this within COVID, we saw a mass exodus of people leaving healthcare because it is an exhausting specialty to be able to serve alongside people. But it's very, very difficult uh, to have processes then that challenge one's thought of conscious and thoughts of uh, what is right within medicine and being told that you have to do certain things. I fear that if we go down that pathway, we will find a continued limitation uh, as far as access to care, especially the quality of care that we're talking about every day. All right. When we come back, um, we're going to ask Dr. Brett Nix about some COVID headlines, Omicron boosters, Moderna suing Pfizer and Dr. Fauci retiring. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. Dr. Brett Nix uh, joins us um, from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can find him online at cmda.org, um, also at his own website. Mm-hmm. Remind me, Dr. Brett Nix? Brett Nix, MD? Mm-hmm. It's not in my notes. BrettNixMD.com. Um, all right, uh, COVID, not gone yet. Omicron boosters apparently going to be available soon. 
Moderna is suing Pfizer and Biotech, and Dr. Fauci has retired. What do you want? To, what do you want to talk about? Boy, I tell you, there's so much stuff. And again, I think it all comes in the fall, right? Kids go back to school. For those who watch football, you have this, the expectation that summer is coming to a close. And here we go again with COVID. And so I think the first thing we should talk about are the vaccines. And so, you know, there's a lot of discussion right now. Keep in mind, in the U.S., people that are age 65 and older, those who are at, at higher risk for severe disease related to COVID, this thing we've been talking about for the last couple of years, uh, we talk about boosters now. 71% have received their first booster and about 41% have received a second. Now, we've had some dialogue saying, hey, these boosters are for the original variants that we saw and not the BA4, BA5 that we're seeing now in the community. What does the fall look like? And for those who have been following, um, the FDA has not yet approved, but we're anticipating approval of the upcoming Pfizer as well as Moderna uh, vaccines that specifically look at some of the newer variants. Um, and that is both in Europe and in the U.S. And so the question with those is, hey, well, what does this really look like and have they gone through a process? You know, keep in mind the initial process to get these new mRNA vaccines out and processed was really, really complex. Um, and so that's why we hear about the different companies that went through this and all of the testing that was done for the first iterations. These next ones now are just slightly changing the, um, the protein that's associated with it. Same process as far as moving everything forward, uh, but just adapting to a different variant. And so, you know, the testing level of these has not been the same as the level that you would have earlier. But again, it's similar to what we do when we look at making a vaccine for influenza. Every year we look at the different proteins that we believe may be present, the, the variants, if you will, of the type of influenza that is present in the southern hemisphere during their winter. And we try to create the same type of a thing here. So, you know, I know that there's some caution. Obviously, we want the right level of scrutiny to be to, to be uh, to be had. Uh, but I do think that for those that are at risk, those that are elderly, uh, when you're looking at the ability to get a vaccine that will have a BA4, BA5, if those are the predominant variants, there's going to be great value. Now, you brought up the issue of lawsuit. Now, of course, these mRNA vaccines are incredibly difficult to make uh, and really was quite uh, a miraculous process by which uh, this had happened. Uh, just because of the technology and the ability during COVID itself for these things to go ahead and move forward. Um, and so what you find now is because that technology is so unique uh, that some of the different uh, developers of these are saying, hey, I think we have a lawsuit. We're afraid that there was an intellectual property that was stolen or that you're using our patented process. And I don't know how that will all play out, but you'll hear this in the news uh, that there are several different lawsuits. And I suspect what you'll find is a lawsuit that goes back and forth uh, claiming different patent infringements. Uh, I don't think it changes anything as it relates to what you and I all know. Um, I mm -hmm. think a lot of it has to do with the downstream process because the development was paid for by a lot of governmental funds to support it happening. Now you're looking at the downstream process of, well, where does the revenue come from now? And I think that's mm -hmm. probably where this is, this is headed. Um, yeah, it probably has less to else? do with, uh, with these vaccines and future um, uh the way that they want to apply the research in the future to other things. I mean, I, that's I think the way that's I exactly read it. Right. Yeah. But we paid for it. Exactly I just right. want to point that out. We, the taxpayers yes, paid indeed. for it. So they ought not to be fighting over it, but there you go. Um, yeah. That'll play nice and share. Um, I would like to talk about um, 41% of teenagers who can't tell the difference between true and false information related to health online. I, Isn't that amazing? I, I, found, I found this really, I mean, like, the the inability to discern between just truth and lies is really significant. 
Well, and I'll tell you what, it's really incredible. So this is a study that looked at teenagers and media. And what they ended up finding is that the vast majority of teenagers, um, which for us, as far as in educate, educating the youth and educating those who are, give, are going to become the young adults of our, of our country, um, <clears throat> they have this, in, this incredibly high level of risk associated with false information, uh, especially when it looks at the medical information that they're reading online that comes through social media. And what they're finding is, as you stated as well, 41% uh, could not tell the difference between something that was true and something that was false, specific to medical content online. And the challenge with that is, is number one, are we as parents and as, are we in our schooling process and educating our kids, giving them the, the capacity to be able to uh, learn how to think, or instead are we telling them what to think? And that is a really big challenge for me, especially when you look at this, because there's nothing that is a filter in social media that tells uh, someone who's looking at it whether there's truth behind it or not. And as we all know, once somebody steps into a rabbit hole, they're fed additional information that makes it look like that is supported. And so it's a very, very concerning process. It's a very uh, significant risk behavior in media. Um, and you know, we see this in so many different ways. We've, we've seen it before with these challenges in TikTok and some of the other areas where these are medical things that people are told, hey, you should go do this or do that, and ends up finding out that causes significant harm that they might not have otherwise known. Uh, I do think that this also leads, even outside of that, to increased risk behaviors, specifically around uh, the use of illicit substances, smoking, drinking, and risk behaviors. And in the emergency department, I see that every day. And so significant concern. The question to ourselves is, uh, who is going to be the the bearer of bad news in the sense of how do you how do you to some degree allow for a pathway of quality information to be distilled how do we get that out to anyone listening to this to this broadcast or anyone who uh, is trying to identify the right thing to do with the symptoms that they're having especially when there's so much misinformation right now yeah and here we're talking about not just not just fake news or fake health uh, information we're talking about um, deep fakes we're talking about um, the way uh, information is passed on from one person to another. Um, young people are more likely, uh, and the survey confirms this, more likely to trust and believe a source that, you know, something that was passed on to them from someone else. So it becomes this siloed um, information system and information that comes from elsewhere they don't trust, even if that is the true information. So in addition to the 41 percent of the teenagers who can't tell the difference between the true and false information related to health, there's a, an additional 11 percent who actually believed the fake health messages because of their source over right. true neutral health messages. Um, that's really staggering. So we're talking, you know, 52 percent of teenagers either can't tell the difference or actually prefer, prefer the fake news or the fake information um, to to that which is true. That's really stunning. Um, if you're not familiar with it and you're listening right now and you want to help your teenagers discern the difference, there's a great new curriculum called Filter First. So filterfirst.org is where you're going to access that, filterfirst.org, and we're going to have the creator of it on the show here in, I don't know, the coming weeks. I can't hardly wait. Um, so I think we need equipping in this uh, really urgently. Um, Brett, thank you so much, as always, uh, for joining us. Uh, go get some sleep. Thank you for thank you for your service to your community and to us as the community of, of listeners here on Faith Radio. Outstanding, Carmen. Have a wonderful day. Thanks again. You too. We appreciate it. Hey, let's take a break for Breakpoint.
Thank you um, so much for your input on the text line this morning. I really actually do mean that. For those of you who think I'm not serious when I say thanks for the input, I really am thankful for the input. Uh, You can text me during the show, 877-933-2484. When you think about the church, when I say the word church, what comes to mind? Does your local church come to mind? Does an experience in the church come to mind? Does the global body of believers come to mind? Do your brothers and sisters in Christ throughout all eternity, like the church, the bride of Christ, unassailable, come to mind? Do you think about the church as eternal or temporal? Do you think about the church as global or local? Do you think of it um, in the way Jesus describes it as a body and a family? Um, when you think about the church, like, do you think about a building? Do you think about a people? So I like to um, think about the church as, well, as all those things. She is all those things. She is living and active and the the agent through which God intends to work out his kingdom purposes in the midst of the here and now. And so I hope you are a part of a local congregation, and I hope that local congregation is thriving. I hope you are pressing in to the concerns in your own community. Kevin Johnson is uh, a fellow listener, and uh, he heard the conversation that we had a few days ago with the guys from Dallas and the Urban Alternative about um, their efforts at helping churches partner with local schools. And Kevin said, hey, my local church partners with a local school. Can I talk about that? Well, yes, Kevin, you can. Next up, your fellow listener, Kevin Johnson, talking about what his church is doing locally with schools in the community. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. God designed us to be in relationship. We are relational beings. And so the church is a wonderful place for us to experience redeemed relationships and to have restored um, community. Not everyone in the culture is experiencing that. So how can the church get outside of its walls and into the community in ways that um, not only impact contemporary society, but impact the future as well? That's uh, part of the conversation that we're going to have with Kevin Johnson. Kevin, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Good to be with you. All right. So you listen to the show, I'm guessing. I do. My wife usually gets up earlier than I do, so I usually hear the last part of it, but um, I do listen to it regularly. All right. And you heard something on here that piqued your interest and made you think of something that you've been involved in. Yes. Um, Our church has a partnership. Um, I live in Woodbury, Minnesota, and we have a partnership with a local elementary school um, through a program called Kids Hope USA. And that's uh, kidshopeusa.org is the website if anyone's interested in that. It's a one-on-one mentoring program where one church partners with one school and the church uh, receives training. We have a leadership team that I'd like to give a shout out to that uh, uh, works uh, in conjunction with the school. Uh, The school has done uh, a wonderful job of uh, making teachers accessible to us, space accessible to us, 
And the thing that's really unique about the program is that each mentor has only one student that they work with. Um, the, the school social worker will typically help us identify students that are not flourishing and they'll connect us with those students. We'll give that student a mentor. Uh, the mentor comes in one hour per week. And um, when, the, when the student first gets involved in the program, they usually ask the mentor, who are you coming to the school to see? And the answer is, I'm just coming to see you. And it blows the kids away. And, and a, a really wonderful relationship forms over the years between these mentors and students. I love that. I love the one-to-one aspect of this. I love how exclusive it is. I mean, I, I mean, I love that, you know, a kid feels really special. This is my mentor. This, this is my, you know, person in the world. I think that this, um, this redemptive relationship, right, this giving a kid an adult who cares about them in, you know, in really appropriate ways, in no inappropriate ways, in all ways that like are appropriate. Like this is so redemptive for for children um, who may not be living in and who we know are not living in, um, you know, in home situations and even in community situations um, where they are being cared for and nurtured in a way that's going to produce a really fruitful adult. And so this is a really this is a redemptive program. It is. The um, uh, the founder of Kids Hope USA did a lot of research um, to see ways that the church can impact, impact children. And the thing he kept coming up with um, from all the research was to put kids uh, to fill the relational void in the lives of children. And the prayer and the um, the mentor also I like this this unique aspect of this program also has a one to one prayer partner in the church. So if you're a person who says, "Oh my gosh, children terrify me," I could never be a mentor in the school. Well, you could be a prayer partner for a mentor in the school. Like I love how this is. Um, there's a web of relationships that's developed here, Kevin. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the. Um, the word relationship and the reality of the relationship built over time, a lot of trust, a lot of respect. Um, that's, that's how this works. This is long-term. It's one church with one school. It's one mentor with one kid, one at a time um, over the long haul. Yeah. Um, the relationship um, does grow over a period of time. Um, we have seen a number of students, um, who start uh, with a mentor in kindergarten and they have that mentor until they get through fifth grade when they um, uh, graduate out of the, the elementary school. And um, there are a lot of stories that um, I've heard um, about those relationships, but the, um, the one thing that will always stick in my mind at the end of the year, one of the things that, that um, is wonderful about the relationship we have with the school is that they, allow us to send out uh, a sheet at the beginning of the year asking parents if they would give us permission to invite them to events at our church. And most parents do that. And at the year-end event, um, we'll have a special graduation uh, 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 ceremony for the fifth graders who are there. And to watch them come up um, with their mentors and hug their mentors and look at their mentors, you can just see the deep relationship that they have with them is extremely rewarding. And you can tell that those kids' lives have been changed through that relationship with their mentor. 
Yeah. And the lives of the mentors are changed as well. I feel confident. Um, I love that one of the things that you shared is that, uh, you know, school administrator just noting that there's an atmospheric change in the school. Talk a little bit about the the impact that um, that this has, you know, beyond the beyond the one student at a time. Right. There's there's something that really does change in the atmosphere of the school over time. Yeah, and I think it changes because, um, you know, if you um, change the life of one child at a time and you have a number of mentors in the school, then you have a number of children who are changing. And some of the things that happen are that um, the kids, Hope USA kids, whenever anyone talks to them in the hall, they can tell you when the last time was that their mentor was there and when the next time is that they're going to see their mentor and that that mentor is there just for them. Um, The teachers have told us that kids um, thrive more. Um, They they have just a different attitude, especially on the day that their mentor is coming. So I'm going to, yeah, please. um, There are a lot of other kids um, in the school who start, you know, they they notice that their friend is going out of class one hour um, per week and they say, you know, where can I get a mentor like that? Mm. And those kids start realizing the need for a relationship in their lives. And um, then, you know, as we start getting more requests, we try to recruit more mentors. Sometimes we have a waiting list. Last year, um, it was the first year that we had no waiting list. We had a lot of new mentors come on board. But um, there's there's uh, chatter in the hallways about the mentoring program that uh, changes the atmosphere as well. I love this. You guys need to visit kidshopeusa.org. Um, if you scroll around on here, you're going to um, get information about the impact that it makes. After just one year of one-on-one mentoring through a Kids Hope USA program, 79% of students improved in social-emotional competency. 87% of students made um, good or some progress in their academic skills. 86% made good or some progress in their behavior, self-regulation, and control. When we think about what's happening um, with the emerging generation, when we think about the challenges that families are facing and single moms are facing and kids are facing um, for all kinds of reasons um, in their family life, uh, and when we think about the challenges that teachers face, like a teacher can't mentor, can't genuinely mentor all the kids in his or her classroom. This is a great way to partner with schools, to partner with teachers, to partner with parents. Um, We know that relationships make a difference. We're designed by God for relationships. And and we know the the impact that our churches want to have in our communities. And um, we imagine that, you know, well, if they would just come to church, well, they're not going to just come to church. The church is going to have to go to them. And this kidshopeusa.org provides an avenue for your church to engage in your community in a really, really redemptive way. Kevin, I'm so grateful um, that you brought us uh, your story of partnership with Kids Hope USA. Um, And thank you so much for bringing it to all of us here at Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, and I think one last thing I'd like to say is that that academic improvement, um, this is not really an academic mentoring program, that improvement through the program comes just from strengthening relationships and having an adult in their life that cares about them. 
Yeah, I mean, they start to care about themselves, right? They start to care about um, what they're doing and how they're doing it. I mean, transformation impacts every part of our lives. We all know that, right? It's not uh, it's not fixed to one area. So thank you so much, Kevin. What a delight. It's great to meet you. It's great to um, share this time with you. Say good morning to your wife um, from all of us here at Mornings with Carmen. All right. Thank you so much, Carmen. Absolutely. Um, that's Kevin Johnson. He's a part of the Faith Radio listening community. He's a part of the Mornings with Carmen listening family. Even if he doesn't listen as long as his wife does, that's okay. Um, What's your story? What's your Faith Radio story? What have you heard here that you've said to yourself, hey, I got something going on like that? You can always text us, 877-933-2484. You can shoot me an email, carmen at myfaithradio.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Wake the So yesterday um, we talked with Tara Cole about everyday prayers for the school year. Um, if you missed that conversation, you can go back and grab it on the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, one of these um, devotionals in, in Tara's book of Everyday Prayers, I just thought, you know what, this is actually good for all of us. This is good for all of us because it's about choosing joy. So when you think about the way that you pray for children, you pray for teenagers, you pray for college students, you pray for teachers, you pray for school administrators, like we're all in the back-to-school season um, and we're back to Sunday school as well. Maybe you are back to um, Awana programs. Uh, maybe you are back to some other kind of weekday program for children in your church. Um, in everything, we should be praying for each other and for ourselves to choose joy. So I really, um, I really appreciated this. She lifts up uh, Psalm 126 and verse 2 in particular. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. And our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things. The Lord has done great things. I think we're um, oftentimes walking around um, in a bit of a um, in a bit of a fog because the world and the headlines and our conversations and even our own um, personal experiences are filled with such challenge and tragedy and trouble and privation and need and struggle. Did I already say struggle? Um, There's a battle going on, and I recognize that. And we suit up for that, um, putting on the full armor of God from Ephesians 6, and we try to be strong and courageous. um, But we just recognize that sometimes we feel like we're just under a bit of a dark cloud. And we're like, where, where is the joy gone? Where is the joy? I had a friend named Mike Cook, who was a teacher at Raven Gap Nakuchi School when I 
lived in northeast Georgia, and he wrote over the um, over the doorframe of his classroom, "Don't forget the joy. Don't forget the joy." And um, he was trying to remind his students. I mean, I think he was teaching math. I mean, like, right? I mean, I don't, I can't remember, but I can't remember what he was teaching. But I can tell you that he was teaching, um, you know, how to live as a Christian in the world. Whatever the content of his class was, the content of his character was actually the curriculum of the course. And Mike Cook was a guy who lived then, and I assume still lives, with great joy. Um, he wrote that over the header in his classroom. The week after his wife, Sandy, they were young, young at the time. Um, his wife, Sandy, had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And they struggled um, for years. She's she's recovered. She's, um, you know, that's a wonderful story of redemption. But don't forget the joy became a really important reminder to Mike. And then it became a really important reminder to the students who walked in and out of the door of his classroom each and every day. Don't forget the joy. Yeah, life is um, filled with all kinds of challenges and struggles. But don't forget the joy. Let my mouth be filled with laughter. Let my tongue be, uh, let on my tongue be shouts of joy. Say among the nations, the Lord has done great things. What are the great things that the Lord has done? Joy and sadness actually like coexist. And it is okay to rejoice even in the midst of a world uh, it, that's in travail. It's okay to celebrate a birthday. It's okay to, um, to ring out with joy, even though we know and recognize and are concerned about the reality of those suffering down the street and around the corner and, and across the world. Um, don't forget the joy. So I think that this morning... As we send kids off to school and we send, um, you know, and we go off to work and to whatever else we're um, going to be doing today, um, let's, uh, let's think of a God story, something good that God has done for us, a redemptive story from somewhere along the way, and find an opportunity today to tell someone that God story. Find an opportunity today to tell someone, hey, the Lord has done a great thing. You know, and you can even say, hey, I listened to this person on the radio this morning and I was reminded of this great thing that God has done. I just I just want to I just want to share something good today in the midst of um, of all the challenges that we face. So um, we're going to come back in just a moment and we're going to talk about blessing. We're going to talk about the blessing we live under. Um, We're going to talk about how to get more blessing. Wouldn't you like more blessing in your life? You want to know how to get it? Yeah, I actually know. We're going to talk about that next here on Mornings with Carmen. If you've ever been to a Christian service of worship, then you have likely stood at the conclusion of that service for something called the benediction. That's just a fancy word for blessing. Um, You've stood up and the pastor at the front um, has probably lifted a hand into the air and spoken words of blessing. One of my favorite blessings or benedictions is found in Numbers chapter 6. 
Um, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now think about that for just a moment. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Are you blessed and are you kept? Yes, you are. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. You are under God's watch care. You are in God's grace. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Again, God's watch care, God's eye upon you, God's peace over you. What a blessing. What a blessing. The Bible is full of blessings. You might think of the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5. They're also echoed in Luke Luke chapter 6. There's also Beatitudes sprinkled throughout the book of Revelation. So from Matthew, we hear Jesus saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, says Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Maybe you haven't thought of the book of Revelation as a place uh, where there are also Beatitudes, but there are seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. And again, these are the words of Jesus speaking. Blessed is anyone who reads the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear them if they treasure the content because the time is near. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Blessed indeed, the Spirit says, now they can rest forever after their work since their good deeds go on with them. Blessed is anyone who has kept watch and kept his clothes on so that he does not go out naked and expose his shame. That's an interesting blessing, right? That's Revelation 16, 15. Revelation 19, 9, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Man, that's a blessing promised uh, to those who believe in Christ. Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection and the second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and reign with him for a thousand years. I am coming soon, says the Lord. Blessed are those who keep the prophetic message of this book. And then Revelation 22, 14, blessed are those who will have washed their robes clean so that they will have the right to feed on the tree of life and can come through the gates into the city. The book of Revelation is filled with blessing. There's a litany of blessings recorded by Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, and we teach our children to count their blessings and name them one by one as we consider the goodness of God's providence. Hebrews 11 recounts a litany of blessings of God as well. We sing uh, praise to God for his blessings. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Friend, you are blessed. You are blessed. Do you want the blessings of God from whom all blessings flow? Do you want to open the blessing flow in your life? Well, following the foot washing, Jesus in John 13 actually tells us how to do that. If you know these things, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
Let us do the things that we know we are to do in the name of Christ that we might find ourselves blessed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Friend, until we meet again, God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.